Hello from Monrovia. Welcome back to our Writers Podcast series here on Talking Pod, brought to you by Talking Media and our dear friends from Sleepless in Monrovia. This is where we steer social, cultural, and political conversations that are often overlooked and less discussed in society. I'm your host for today's series segment. My name is Gerald Hudges. You're listening to an eight-part Writers Podcast series sharing provocative social norms authoring pieces written by Liberians and published on Sleepless in Monrovia, a blog post that is created to showcase Liberia's literary creativity. So our guest for today are William Anderson and Joshua Kula, who co-authored a poem titled Bow Not. So I'd like to say welcome to Talking Pod. Thank you, Gerald. You're most welcome. So interestingly, Joshua is a lawyer and William is an engineer. I don't want to be general, so I'll just give you the time to basically introduce yourself. You know, there's such a contrast between your profession and your hobby of writing. I'm William Farrell Anderson. I'm a civil engineer by profession specializing in learning and development and also into hydropower engineering. I'm a published writer. I look into contemporary poetry and also short stories and prose. And Joshua? I'm Joshua Eskula. I'm a lawyer by profession. I'm a huge fan of the art. Art is a form of recreating yourself, so writing is just one of the ways I recreate myself. Just how I volunteer with a lot of initiatives. I draw, I write, I sing, I talk. But I'm not good. I'm not good at any of them. I would call myself an expert at anything. But <laughs> I just love the arts. Oh man, you just you just brought to my mind this saying, uh, uh, "Jack of all trades, master of none." But but I doubt is the case, man. I doubt is the case. Um. I'm the master of none. I realized it was I. It's a big lie. It's not a master of no, master of coordination. I get to master coordinating. I think beyond that, in the world that we currently live in, it should be expected that we have to master more than one thing to survive as the world evolves. Um, so Bill and I, we've been friends for quite some time. It's it's quite exciting reconnecting after you know so many years. How have you been holding up during this lockdown? It has been tough, but it's worth the time because uh, we have to stay safe, not only to protect ourselves but to protect humanity so um it's been quite an interesting ride back and forth with work so tell us um what is the overarching theme of of your poem titled bow not it's all about cautioning young people specifically to be mindful of you know issues that are not really really positive in terms of social and national developments joshua do you care to expand a bit from your perspective it was a call to caution and awakening call to say, this is who we are. Don't fall prey to the situation at hand. As you mentioned, it is a caution. Um, so in this point, who are you specifically cautioning? <laughs> this is interesting. Well, it's basically a call to everyone. Liberians are normally in the victimized mindset or always feeling guilty or feeling cheated upon and stuff like that. However, we are trying to push forward from the point's perspective that we are the ones who should caution ourselves because an external body to caution us who are the doers of the same things that are affecting us will be a, a kind of messy situation. So we are the ones who are cautioning ourselves against things that are not beneficial to ourselves and our nation as well. So it, it, it goes across so many spectrums. There, there's a line in particular in the poem that reads, what should we call ourselves, the victims or the masses? 
So how do you compare and contrast these two characters? Yeah, just, go ahead. Just to point out the, the duality of our particular situation as Liberians, because we tend to create situations as the masses that we later become the victim of. So we are basically self-harming. So just that the cautionary call for us to look at ourselves and realize that we are the victims as well as the masses. That takes me to my next question. You know, in our political scene today, haven't we seen people who sort of once considered themselves as victims, but today are sort of oppressors, we could consider them oppressors? In the political scene, in Liberia, it's always a shift of paradigm. One group today, they are the victims because they are the opposition. The next time, they are the masses because they are the one in power. So it's just pointing to the same thing. Again, the duality of the situation. We put ourselves in situations and that we play victim of. And, and what is your caution here regarding this that particular issue? How do we avoid getting to a point where you know, being victimized makes us adopt a victim mentality. There are people, especially in the political scenery, um, there are people who lead the masses, who lead librarians blindfolded, okay? I say blindfolded because we are preying on the fact that people are ignorant, so we do what we do. They prey on the fact that people are ignorant, people are very intrigued, people are not critical thinkers. So whatever they provide them is not the actual information that educate them in terms of the rightful to the rules that will be in terms of their expectations at the end of the day. So based on one's devotion to and vigorous support for their country and education, we are hoping that through this poem we can share the message that whoever okay, will be into the picture of developing and sharing knowledge in terms of deciding who our political leaders become, what they do, how we monitor and follow it, how we see their perspectives. People firstly must be educated, people firstly must be knowledgeable of those things that are required of the ones that leaders. So in this case, um, it's not as if that we don't know who become oppressors. It's the fact that people may be in the place of being victims to become oppressors because one, they have no devotion to the country. Some major things, some major factors that limited that and also clearly, you know, clearly show or provide the audience a different mindset towards that. You're listening to the Writers Podcast series brought to you by Talking Media and Sleepless in Monrovia. Joshua, I would just like to rephrase this and sort of gauge your perspective on this question as well. How do we avoid getting to a point where being victimized makes us adopt a victim mentality? Part of the purpose of the form is to scare people in that direction. And what is that direction specifically? Could you be more precise? The direction is being more cautious of the duality of our situation. That the situations now that we're in, that we call ourselves victim of, we created it in part in a set because you can fix problems, you can identify. But we're more in the direction of creating awareness for us to find solutions in our different corners. Going back to the poem, there's a particular point where you mention, in quote, the ones wearing fancy on their skin, to those calling their brothers members of a society. So the first angle there was. Do not focus on upward appearances of your leaders. It's very certain that Liberians might do that. 
would look at someone and say, hey, he's very cute and he looks very intelligent. So I'll vote him. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, you know, so do not focus on appearances. There are also people who believe they belong to a certain clique, a uh, certain group, uh, certain cults. What do they want to belong to? However, justice is for us all. So we should not see them or see others to be above the law because of whatever they associate themselves with. So the poem is saying basically um, to those calling their brothers members of the society, whatever society, whatever you find yourself part of, you are still subjected to humanity. So it's now cautioning people to not look at those people because they are part of certain society, do not just there's this irony, you sort of never feel the fire, perhaps I'm misquoting, but you sort of never feel the fire until you're in that position. What if my survival depended on it? That's a good question. But if, for example, I have to make a unilateral decision, maybe voting in the next person, the next leader, the next representative, senator, person, whoever, based on my relationship with him personally, and knowing the fact that this person cannot deliver, is just me contributing to the life factor that hey, this country can go back backwards. The same thing again, as we said, the aim of the poem is to take our mentality from the angle that we have come causing these problems. We are the ones that solve them. So these are the same things that have been happening over and over again in the history of this country. So we need to stop that. Even though that, I mean, your life might depend on it, but when you know what your life is <laughs> dependent upon, it must not be very dangerous to society a lot. So there are two really interesting, you know, section of your poems I really love, and I love to read them over and for us to basically crack the code. Okay. For we are liberated, free to think of the right things and willing to do what needs to be done. We are children of redemption and not of our father's sin. So bow not to the regime that repeats the nation's worst kind of history. Um, for we are liberated, the poem's perspective was freedom in terms of education. Mm -hmm. um, when you educate people, you free them, okay? We've come from a history that uh, we were brutalized, traumatized, harmed. So now we have been free, we are speaking, we are teaching and learning every day. When the line says, free to think of the right things and willing to do what needs to be done, is yes, since we have obtained the education, we know what is needed to be done. We must be willing to do them. We must be willing to make the sacrifices. You understand? So it's the education that we have and it's also the application as well as the devotion to our country. So when I said we are children of redemption and not of our father's sins, basically those before us did these same things that have us where we are today. So if we are here to redeem the nation, being educated, we must be able to apply these skills. So bow not to the regime that repeats the nation's worst kind of history is basically when you hear the news every day it's all corruption, corruption. Free ourselves from this. We we can't we can't keep doing what we've been doing for years. So it's it's it's, it's now on the scene that this is the peak. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? We need to redeem our nation by thinking, by applying those things that we already know. And Joshua, do you care expanding on this other section that says for we are thinkers and farmers with tools and plans running to these branches of government to get rid of corruption, greed, and legal gangs. Now, I want to point out the education bill is talking about it's not only for my education, mm -hmm. but you know, it's for everyone who call themselves woke. We are woke enough to know better, so we should do better. Since we are thinkers, like Bob Marley says, 
free our mind from mental slavery so we are free enough to think. We use the word farmer because we can't use every profession. So we use farmer because we're able to fend for ourselves. We have everything we need to make a difference. So we shouldn't wait for somebody else. We should take it upon ourselves now where we should run to these branches of government to get rid of it because we complain too much about it. The government is this, the government don't do this, the government don't do that. So now it's also a call, cautioning people to be involved. You can't fix the problem without being part of the solution. For the time has come when our voices are mightier than their guns, when our inks are faster than their tongues, and our minds cannot easily be used to do wrong. You know, this part brings to mind the power of collective voice on one hand, and on the other hand, the form of literature that you guys are actually engaged into. Where did writing start for you? What has been the impact of writing on your life? Basically, it was about, what, 10 years ago? That was around 20, 2009. Mm -hmm. I was basically in a dark place. Solitude was a home for me, and I would just sit and write how I felt over certain things and, you know, not share my pain, my agony, whatever it was at the time. And then I transformed over the years in terms of sharing my darkness to sharing my happiness, my joy, my gratitude, and stuff like that. However, over these times in these years, I have grown in certain areas in terms of critical thinking, analyzing things, and looking at things with an open mind. You get more into this form of literature. You understand there are things that are not in the curriculum of life, <laughs> you know, um, but your mind would take you through them based on experiences over time. For the most part, I started writing since 2005. I was in high school learning to write. Being exposed to different forms of literature and practicing it has become a hobby then. It's become a form of expression. We don't have to be violent to express ourselves. Reading and writing has taught me that. It's been a great pleasure having you both on Talk Pod. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we do look forward to reading more pieces from you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.